Well, good morning. Good morning. There it is. It's good to have you here at worship with us. It's good to see your faces. Um, I know that we all come to this place in different spots and in different places. Maybe today is a very difficult day for you. Uh, maybe today you're singing the praises and the rejoicing of a loving and joy-filled journey with God. And maybe you're just seeking God today. Wherever you are, you're welcome in this place. We're so glad to have you. Um, there's a few people missing today, including my boss, our leader, Pastor Dave, isn't here. So when the boss is gone, you know what happens. Uh, so we're going to have fun today. Um, we have fun every Sunday that we gather. Maybe a little extra fun Trent, today. does that mean what? we're all mice? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make Dave a cat, though. Don't tell him I said that. Um, I do want to just point out a couple of things to you. Uh, maybe you picked one of these up when you came in. It comes inserted into our core guide, which is just a devotional piece that goes with you through the week and gives you some things to think about over the course of the week. Um, at the bottom of this is a connect card. If you want to connect with our staff some way or send us a note or uh, send us a message, that's a great way to do that. You can fill out this card. Um, there are some um, things that you can check on the back if any of those apply to you. And you can either put those in the offering plate as they're passed or there's a box right back in the, in the back of the room. Um, and so I want to invite you to go ahead and utilize that form of communicating with the staff. Um, today, after service, uh, if you're wanting to connect with uh, either Pastor Ken, Pastor Art, or myself, we do have coffee with the pastors, and that happens just right in this room. If you exit the doors, take a hard right, and it's right in our library there, um, and uh, you're welcome to come and join us. Maybe you've just attended a couple of times and haven't had a chance to meet the pastors. If you'd like to do that, um, we're, we'll be there. Uh, and we would love to have the chance to, to meet with you. Or maybe you just want to check in, and you've been here for many years. So uh, you're welcome to come as well. Uh, and then last but not least, um, this Thursday, I hope you've marked your calendars. What's happening this Thursday? Does anyone know? The choir, yes. NNU's University Choir and Orchestra is coming to our church, 7 p.m., a 90-piece choir and orchestra, so it's going to be a full house. Many of you have signed up to help house them. We're going to be getting details to you uh, early this week as far as the number of students that you can expect, and then just final confirmation of the schedule. So we'll be looking for that either Monday or Tuesday, uh, and we'll get that information to you. So thanks for signing up, those of you who did. Um, and if the ushers would please come forward, I'm going to pray for our offering, and we're going to continue to worship um, in music and in song but also by giving just a portion of what we've received back to the work of the kingdom. Um, if you're visiting with us today, uh, this service is a gift to you. Uh, please don't feel obligated to give, but for those of us who worship here, this is a, a way that, that we continue to worship God through giving. Let's pray. Lord, today we, we pause and we worship you. What could separate us from this amazing love? That anthem begs an answer, and the answer is nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love that you extend to us. And so we receive that today, wherever we are. Whatever we brought in with us today, we receive that love and that gift. Um, we celebrate today the chance to worship you, and we uh, want to continue to worship you by giving back to you a portion of what we've received. Would you take what we give today 
and, and use it for your kingdom. May people come to know you because of what the ministry is able to do through our giving uh, today. Thank you. Uh, be with us as we continue to worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. speak. 
God, that is our prayer this morning. And it is a biblical prayer, for I know that the day of Pentecost came and you fell upon the church. 
There were great signs and wonders that you did besides the fact that they went out into the streets and so many thousands of people heard the message and were saved and brought into a faith with you. But then again in the upper room, they prayed and you fell again. You fell again. And we need your infilling power, Lord. We need you to come and fill us up with truth and grace and your purposes and your plans in everything that we would in involve our lives in, God. Cause us to be a holy people because it is the Holy Spirit that we are listening to and allowing to speak and work in our lives. God, let that be true, I would pray. We say to you this morning, let it be true, Lord. Work in our lives, work in our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for our staff. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for Pastor Ken, who's going to come and share his heart with us, God. Open our ears that we might hear. Put an anointing on Pastor Ken's mind and heart and let him just, as he is prepared, say the things that you're giving him to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Are we good? All right. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys to do a few things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be bold about this. I know it's a little uncomfortable, but that's okay because we're the church, right? We do uncomfortable things. So uh, you notice that there's a lot of empty seats around you. Um, and if you're new here, this is not normal. I want you to know that. And, and I want you to know that I'm not normal and that I'm not normally up here. Um, but when I do get the privilege, I like to twist it up a bit. How many of you guys know that? Good. Fantastic. So I would like those of you um, who are sitting in a chair that happens to be in, uh, behind uh, the fifth row to move forward. And for those of you who are in the first five rows, I would like you guys to move up. So fill these seats Fill the front. Come forward. Yeah, let's fill the front five rows. Let's do that. Can we do that? You know, oftentimes we say we're, we're family and that this is a living room. And I would tell you that if you had a family reunion, you would not sit away from your loved ones. And so I think, let's move forward. Let's move up a little bit. Let's get a little uncomfortable. There's also another benefit to this. Um, we don't uh, take down the chairs and set them back up um, every week now. So uh, in order to break in the chairs that are always empty, we're going to move forward. All right? There's another request I have of some of you uh, <clears throat> later on, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Today, today uh, we find ourselves in uh, chapter 7 of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, we're going to be talking about those people. Those people. You know those people. 
Those people. Those people. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we like, we like engagement. So um, when, I, when I mean those people, sometimes I think that um, we kind of just throw it out there, um, and we don't, we're not even aware of what we're saying. Um, there's, a, there's a free sign outside, and, you know, those people are going to come in. I don't know if we want to do that. Let's not put the free sign out. You know, those people. They're difficult people. Some of them are just rude. Some of them are, are just really needy. Some are arrogant. Some are immature. Some are demanding. Some are entitled. And quite frankly, some of them are just annoying. Can we be honest? Those people, they're different. They seem a little strange. They look different. They act different. They smell different. They think different. Or maybe they believe different. They're different. Those people. The people were quick to ride off. The people were quick to drive by. The, the people were quick to send away. The people we try not to associate with or maybe even try to avoid. Do you know those people? They're the bikers and the Baptists, amen? <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. We're going to delete that off the video. That will not be online. So we find ourselves on this journey through the book of Mark, and Pastor Dave uh, opened up chapter 7, uh, and we talked about uh, what defiles us, not what's on the inside, but what comes or not from the, what's uh, outside, but what comes from the inside, right? And so we talked a little bit about that. You guys have been discussing your core groups, hopefully, um, been talking about this throughout the week. And we come to this really weird passage in the book of Mark, and I thought, uh, Pastor Dave, a couple weeks ago, uh, had shared, hey, I'm going to be gone, uh, and uh, would you like to preach I was like, sure, what, what, what text are, are we on? And, and he said, Mark 7, 24 through 37. And so I just went over, checked it out, and thought, oh. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. Um, I got to confess that I've read this part of Mark many times, and I have just overlooked it. And so for the past, well, for the beginning of, the, of those few weeks, I started thinking, uh, how do you preach that? How do you preach that? And then I started doing some more studying, and I started praying, okay, God, seriously, what, are you, what do you need to do in my own heart uh, with this? Right? What do you need to do uh, in me? And so uh, I started looking up a lot of the history and some of the context that uh, this passage is in. Of course, we know that Jesus and his, and his disciples are um, doing ministry all throughout Galilee. Well, they're on their way to Jerusalem, right? Because we know how the story ends. They're on their way to Jerusalem, but they're kind of on this journey. It's really weird. Um, if you look on a map, I'm going to try and, try and help us. I don't have any visuals, so I'm just going to use my hands because that's what I do. Ask the youth group. So um, 
so the Sea of Galilee is right here, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it as if you are looking at the map. So the Mediterranean Sea is over here, okay, and Jesus is Nazareth, Caper, uh, Capernaum over here. Here's here's the Sea of Galilee, and he kind of makes his way uh, up. Well, the funny thing is, is Jerusalem is is south. Right? And so if you're going to Portland, you want to get on I-5 south, right? Not I-5 north. Well, Jesus goes up I-5 north, right? And he heads to the coast like you do, right? That's what I do. Um, so you head to the coast, and it's Gentile territory. And so um, we saw last week that the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem, some of the um, leaders and religious leaders of the law, and, and started questioning Jesus, and he starts kind of debating with them. Um, and then he leaves this place, and this is where we find ourselves um, in the 24th verse. It goes like this. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Here's the Sea of Galilee. They go to the coast. Tyre and Sidon is up a little bit. Uh, but they're both coastal communities, right? So they're living pretty luxurious. They've got plenty of food. They've, um, they're, they're pretty antagonistic towards the Jews. Like, they're kind of better than. They look at the Jews like, oh, those people, right? It's funny because the Jews look at them like, oh, those people, right? Those Gentiles, right? And the... And, uh, the people from there look down on the Jews like, oh, those peasants, right? Those, those people. And so that's where we're at. Uh, it's in a region uh, called Phoenicia. And so we'll get to that in a little bit. It's, uh, it's what do we say? It's current day uh, Lebanon. So for those of you guys who are, are history or geography buffs, it's, it's modern day Lebanon is where we find ourselves. Okay, so Jesus enters a house and did not want anyone uh, to know, yet he could not be hidden. Good grief. He's healing people. He's performing all these miracles. There's large crowds following him, and he's trying to catch a break, right? He's like, oh, I need to rest. But he can't avoid the following, right? So immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit by the way, this unclean is common, right? He's, uh, Mark has just used this from the, the previous passage. He's talking about what defiles a person. He uses the term unclean, right? What makes a person unclean? Uh, and so it's this kind of same language he's using um, in here. But ultimately, what he's saying is she's being tormented by uh, a demon, an unclean spirit. Okay, so she heard of him. She heard of him, she heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Look at the imagery. First of all, the reason I repeat that is because there are people who have never heard of Jesus. And so what I, what I don't want to overlook here is that someone told her about Jesus. She heard of Jesus. People can't go to Jesus if they haven't heard of him. Do you hear that? And when she came to Jesus, she fell at his feet. 
She's a desperate mom. She fell at his feet. When was the last time you found yourself in this posture? Where you're literally begging, it says. She was a Gentile, a Phoenician by birth, and she begged him, she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, something that seems a little odd at first glance, right? He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Come again? Uh, excuse me? Excuse me, Jesus? What did you just call me? What? Okay, so that's my response, my immediate response. True? I think we're all there. I think part of that's just our culture, it's the time, it's the day and age. And we're like, excuse me? And that's okay. I think that's an appropriate response. Excuse me? And so without some context, we're kind of left with this, oh, well, that was rude. And so turn with me to Matthew. There's a parallel story to this found in chapter 15. It gives us a little more context, a little more detail in Matthew, because remember, Mark is just like this, he's like rushing through the story, and he's just, he's quick, he's fast, going right through. So in Matthew, it says, uh, verse 21, uh, chapter 15, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Okay, this is a little different, right? Now we, we uh, acknowledge that she not only heard of Jesus, uh, but how she approaches Jesus, her words, not just her posture, but now with her words. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David. Remember, this woman's Greek. She's from Syria. Uh, she's considered the Syrophoenician. Um, she's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. Uh, and uh, this matters in this context, but she was a woman. And she came to Jesus. She went to Jesus, right? And so this is another interesting follow-through. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So she acknowledges who Jesus is. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. Okay? So that's different than what we read in Mark. It's a different account. Uh, he doesn't say anything at first. Then this is, this is crazy. So his disciples, right, his close friends, followers, um, who are leading this movement, right, with Jesus. They're going and ministering with Jesus. They're healing people. They say this. Send her away. 
for she's crying out after us. Like, I hear this tone when I read that. Like, come on. Seriously, we've been walking this entire time. I'm tired. I need a break. Have you ever had compassion fatigue? Like, this is real. <laughs> I want you to know. Like, you just, you just pour yourself out to people. And you're just empty. And you have nothing else to give. Right? And you're just like, oh, I need to be refilled. I need a break. And so they're at this point, and just send her away, Jesus. I mean, first of all, she's a Gentile. Come on. They're annoyed, you know, because she's one of those people. Send her away. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Have you ever been desperate? To the point that you've just fallen on your knees? Just desperate. Lord, have mercy on me. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay? It's, it's forgiveness. It's deliverance from something. Okay? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. This is blessing, right? This is abundance. We're not entitled to grace. We're not entitled to grace. That doesn't make sense by definition. Okay? Send her away. Lord, have mercy on me. So I was thinking about, okay, what, when have I been like, to this point of desperation? Well, um, there's, there's been times um, where I have found out things about my health that had drawn me to my knees. Right? I had a bunch of blood tests taken, and I thought, I'm messed up. Right? And I just lost it. And I wept, and I thought, man, God, really? Really? Or there was a season where my marriage was just falling apart, and I thought, God, really? Have mercy on me. They're friends that I know that um, lost their jobs and, and they didn't know how they were going to provide for their family. And I thought, uh, putting myself in that position, and I, I just couldn't help but feel helpless for my friend, to feel hopeless for my friend. And he's doing whatever he can, and, and, and time's uh, crunching. Like, I, don't, I don't have the next payment for rent. I don't have food in the cupboards. We have people coming in all of the time, and our hearts break for them because we hear their story, we hear their need, we hear their pain, we hear their desperation. Lord, have mercy on me. Somehow they heard to come here for help. 
I thought of another moment, which is not as as desperate, but I I certainly thought it was in the moment. But my son was about 10 months old, and we were living with my brother-in-law. And uh, my this was like the first time my wife went to go to the grocery store. You know that, right? Moms, you know what I'm talking about. It was like this, where's my kid? Right? Because uh, this is the first time you've been away from your child, and this is a big deal. Uh, and so here I am, awesome dad. My, my son is starting to crawl, and uh, I'm in the living room. We're watching uh, Dora the Explorer, like you do. And uh, he's 10 months. He doesn't understand English or Spanish. But hey, it's entertaining, so there you go. So here we are. I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm, I'm entertained. I'm learning Spanish. This is, this is fantastico, right? Until I realized my son is not in the room anymore. Desperation. Oh my gosh. Where are you? Nemo! Nemo! Yes, I'm playing Finding Nemo. Yes, it actually happened. And I found him, and I didn't have to cross an ocean. Uh, I just had to go into the laundry room. Bad day, bad day. Um, Yeah, we won't talk about what was on the floor or anything like that. But there was my son, instant relief. That never happened again, by the way. With him. So, uh, another another just funny story while we're at it. Um, This is my favorite story to tell, actually. It's not even mine. Um, but I have permission, so it's good. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, he's a church planter and uh, started this church about 20 years ago in uh, Muskegon, Michigan. Okay? And uh, he, <laughs> he was having this awesome Sunday. It's just great. Everything was flowing. He had a great message. Music was good. And he's on his way out the door, and he has, his family has two children at the time. And he's like, uh, dear, why don't you just uh, go out here, sit on the steps, and with the kids, I'm going to go lock up in the back, and I'll come around with the van and pick you up, and we'll go home, right? And so this is uh, downtown inner city Michigan. Uh, there's an adult shop across the street. There's bullet holes all over the buildings around this uh, church building, right? It's not a safe place. And so he, get, he uh, ends up talking to uh, one of the elders, you know, like you do. You, you end up staying talking. No? Just me? Okay. So um, he talks to somebody, gets distracted, and then, oh, it's all good, closes the door in the back, gets in his van, and drives home. (laughs) Drives home. And he's thinking to himself, oh, man, what a great Sunday. God, you're so good. Thank you for that message. And he pulls into his driveway, and he realizes, oh! (laughs) I love my family! In the war zone, the, the drug district of the inner city church, this can't get any worse. And so he drives down, and he's weaving traffic, and he's going through these back roads. And just when it couldn't get worse, it starts raining. And so he finally uh, approaches his family, and there they are, uh, and, and wife's in tow with two children in the rain. And he pulls up. Lord, have mercy on me. <laughs> right? So, so they get their children in. He opens the door for his wife, gets her in. She's very kind. She's very sweet. She's very quiet. And so he's driving home. 
everything's good so far. Until his son, uh, in the back seat, with his high voice, says, Dad? Yes, son? Mom thinks you're stupid. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Can we just be honest? Like, that's a good story. That's a great story. We've been there. We've been there. Desperation. Not, my, my Finding Nemo is not as good as that story, so I, I needed to share that. Sorry. Back to the scriptures. <laughs> Such a good story. So, Lord, have mercy on me, she says. She's being, her daughter is being uh, tormented by this uh, unclean spirit. And notice she says, Lord, have mercy on me. Not, she didn't say, have mercy on my daughter. But if you're a mom or a dad, you understand that when you see your child in pain, when you see them suffering, you are suffering. True? There's, there's nights when, when our, our daughter is just screaming, and we've done everything we know to do, and this is our third child, and we just can't figure it out, and I just weep. Lord, help me. Help me. Right? You want to see desperation? Hand a newborn to a new dad. Like, that's awesome. It's fun. It's fun to watch. Um, yeah. So she's, she's at this low point in her life. And there's nothing else to do. There's nowhere else to go. Remember, she's Greek, and the Greeks have uh, just an endless amount of gods, right? Very polytheistic. And so I imagine her house looks something like all these shelves. There's these little clay figurines. And uh, she's have, she has all these gods, and I can, I can just see her calling out to these gods. Nothing. No response. Nothing. No deliverance. And so she goes to this Jewish rabbi who happens to be in the region. Remember, uh, Tyre and Sidon looked down on the Jews. And so for this man to come, this teacher, this is her like last resort. Like if nothing else worked, now what? And I wonder if that's us sometimes. Like what gods are on your shelf? Is it money? Is it your education? Your relationships? Maybe it's the gym or diet. That's where you turn to in times of desperate, uh, desperation. Is it drugs or the government? What makes you feel secure? Where do you turn to? You see, those gods had no hands or feet. They couldn't do anything for her. In fact, they didn't do anything for her. They couldn't save her daughter. They couldn't deliver her daughter. Is God our last resort? Is he? I mean, really. I mean, we can, we can say, oh, I'll, pray, I'll, pray, I'll pray about it. 
Or how can I pray for you? Well, you can... Or is there anything you need? What can, what can we do as a family, as a church family to come around you? I just pray. When there's desperate need that comes through those doors Monday through Thursday, and they're begging... How can I pray for you? Really? Do we mean that? Or have we been taught to say that? Do we really pray? I mean, really. Sounds good. In fact... That's the best thing we can do. True? It's the best thing we can do if we do it. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. That, that can't be the only thing. There's, there are physical needs that need to be met. God didn't create us to live life alone. God didn't create anyone, even those people, to live life alone. And yet, I think we put them there. A lot of people would say, oh, they, they isolate themselves. Well, maybe, or maybe that's just the result of them being pushed away for so long by so many people. That's all I can do. It's all I know to do. What I see this woman doing is she's, she's in desperate need and she falls at the feet of Jesus, which I rarely do, to be honest. And as I think through that, as I thought through that this past few weeks, I thought, what excuses do I have? Well, I pray all the time. I pray in my car. I pray in my office. I pray all the time. But I... I don't need to have a specific spot or I have a cushion that I need to just kneel and do the whole, go through the motions. And yet there's this posture. There's this posture of humility to elevate Jesus above myself, to come to the feet of Jesus, not looking down at Jesus and and telling him how I want my life to be or, or asking him for the things that I need and doing what I tell him to do. But I come and I fall at his feet. Have mercy on me. I wonder how many times we've done that in our life. I wonder how many times we've done that this week. Maybe our hearts are there. And for some reason, we just can't express it. Are you there? Are you there? Because I've seen this. I can tell the difference between someone in desperate need and me going to my shelf. I need this, 
but I have the money to do it, so I'll just go and do it. But for my friend who was losing his job and about to lose his apartment and, and the food was running out, what do you do? Where do you turn? Lord, help me. And then Jesus answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What he's referring to is that he's there first for the Jews. That's, his, that's been his mission this entire time. And yet, the ultimate will of God, the ultimate plan of salvation was for all people. Aren't you glad? Because, friends, you and I are those people. We are. We're those people. And I wonder if we were in this position and we're crying out for Jesus, and the people who are around him, those who are closest to him, are saying, send them away. Send them away. Keep moving. Let's go. There is a lot of pain in your row. There's a lot of pain in your seat. There's a lot of pain in this room. We're those people. We share that in common, and yet we put up boundaries with people because they don't look like us. Even in the church, we do this. They don't act like us. They're just different. I love this woman's response. You can't not love this woman's response. You have Jesus who's trying to say, and in front of his disciples, like, yeah, our, our mission is the Jews first, absolutely. But what he's yet to reveal is that his plan of salvation is for everyone, right? We're still on the way to Jerusalem. And so we know the end of the story. We know what's coming. We know this plan. But put yourself in this context. It hasn't been revealed yet, right? This is what she says. This is how she responds to the, the comment. By the way, the Greek word here isn't uh, in reference to like the dogs that they're kind of used to rolling around on the street here. Like, they're nasty. They, they scrounge on garbage. 
like the, the reference to dogs here is like a household pet. And I know that you might think, well, that's not any better. But I want you to not focus on that, okay? Because I was focusing on that for a long time. But I, but I want you to see this, this theme of humility in this. Uh, a pet is taken care of, okay? And, and God doesn't look at you uh, as a pet, so don't get stuck on that. But I want you to see the difference. He's not referring to her as some street animal who can just scrounge on garbage. At first, it might seem that way, but that's not the word that's used. She says, yes, Lord. I love that. I love that. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Remember, she's on her knees. She's not in a position to fight back. She's at her lowest of lows. I'll take whatever I can get. And I trust that it'll be enough. I trust that it'll be enough. Do you know that what God has for you is sufficient? Do you believe that? I mean, I mean, do you really? Because it seems like when you go through a storm in life that there's just another one waiting down the road, right? And we can say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. And praise him in those moments when it seems like, oh, he came through, but what about the other times? Do you believe that what he has for you is enough? even if it's not what you were expecting, even if it's the crumbs. Even if it's the crumbs. I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I had a little bit of Jesus, and I couldn't wait to get more. I was eating the crumbs. And I would take whatever I could get, and I wanted more, and I just wanted more, and I just wanted more. And it was enough. She was humble. And Jesus didn't argue. <laughs> What's funny is that we've seen Jesus, this pattern of arguing with some religious leaders. People, are theologians, who are at the top of their society. And they ask him a question, and he responds back. And they challenge him with another thought, and he responds back. In a moment when it seems like you could just say, excuse me? We see this woman on her knees, and she responds with humility because she's desperate. Jesus doesn't argue. He said, Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She went home and found her daughter lying in bed. 
no, no unclean spirit in her. You know what's cool about, about this is that there's so many ties with other passages that we've just gone through in Mark and what's coming ahead is that when, when he feeds the 5,000, right, and they feed everybody with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, and, and at the end they have baskets left over, true? And he says, just keep the leftovers, right? So they take them with them. And here's what I love. That was in the Galilee region, and he's heading now up to uh, the Phoenician region, right, where the Gentiles are. And we're going to see him eventually make his way down uh, another weird detour to the east in Decapolis, which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from Nazareth, right? So he's going the opposite way. Now he's going to Yakima to get to Portland, right? But he's going through all this Gentile territory, What I see is that when God gives, he gives in abundance. And so there's leftovers, there's crumbs. A few stories from here, and I'm not sure if we're going to get to them before the summer series or when we come back to Mark in the fall, but, but he feeds 4,000. And what do you think he uses to feed them with? The leftovers, Right? Like, my mission is to the Jews first. But God's grace and his mercy is abundant. And it pours over, it pours out through you and me. Through you and me. She approaches him with desperate humility. I'll take what I can get. Please, please. Don't leave me with nothing. And yet the disciples were pretty quick to dismiss her. The disciples. Right? The, the future pastors. The apostles. The best friends. The small group. The core group of Jesus. Are quick to dismiss her. You know the best gift you can give someone is your time? The best gift you can give someone is your time. And people say time is money, right? But I want to show you the difference here. The, the gift of money is the giving of your resources. The gift of your time is the giving of yourself. I don't have time for this. I'm tired. I've had a full day at the office. I'm ready to just go home and crash. Lord, have mercy on me. I need help. I don't have time for this. Really? Come on, God. Oh. Maybe, uh, can you just come back tomorrow? Of course, our office is closed on Fridays, right? So... Can you just come back tomorrow? Like, this is the disciples' hearts right now. Really? Jesus gave this woman his time and attention. You, you want to show someone mercy? Give them your complete time and attention. 
I sat with a woman a month ago in the lobby for two and a half hours. I didn't plan to do that. I thought about 30 minutes in, this is going to be the biggest waste of my time. I didn't know if we could help her. I didn't know if her story was true. All I know is that God was telling me to look into her eyes and listen to her pain. She didn't look like someone that I would hang out with. She didn't seem like someone I'd hang out with. She didn't talk like someone I would like to hang out with. But for that two and a half hours, I felt like she was my mom. I wanted to help her. I saw her pain. What I love is that she's been back. What I love is that we've helped her. What I love is that we're continuing to help her. Despite the fact that she's an unbeliever. You know what is interesting? We often expect unbelievers to act like believers. And so we get offended by the way they talk because they smell like smoke. We get offended because they didn't dress properly to come to church. God forbid. What are you doing? But I felt her pain. I saw her soul and she was crying out she could barely walk. She was sitting in the chair, but she, her heart was on her knees. Have mercy on me. It's not anything that we've done. It's not because of who we are. God's grace and his mercy is because of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's for that reason that we're brought into the family of God. We get the crumbs. And that's okay. It's all we need. What's crazy is that there's another story that's just as weird right after this. He returned to the uh, region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, right? We're in Yakima now. They brought, him to, uh, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him. Notice the language again. They begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, 
touched his tongue. Ew. <laughs> and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, when I first read that, I thought, ew, gross, keep reading, keep moving on, right? And I don't claim to know that I fully understand what's going on here, except for the fact that uh, Jesus is really hard to figure out sometimes. <laughs> True? Uh, there's times when uh, he... Uh, spits in the dirt and puts mud on someone's eyes. There's times when he, in the case of the woman caught in adultery, he goes right down to the ground and starts drawing something. <laughs> and then he gets up, and this is something deeply profound. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> And there's, there's, there's religious leaders ready to stone this woman, and they're holding these large rocks, and he's down on the ground. I can't explain it, except for that this man is deaf and he's mute. And then I imagine if I was deaf and mute, and I'm watching Jesus and he's touching my ears, I'm expecting good things. I'm expecting a miracle. Who is this guy? What is he doing? He's an outcast in his society, and his friends bring him to Jesus. Do you see that? His friends bring him to Jesus. In the, in the previous story, we have someone telling this woman about Jesus, and she goes to Jesus. In this story, we have friends who bring their friend to Jesus. And then he spits. And he touches the guy's tongue. Can we put off to the side the fact that that's kind of disgusting? I, I've been doing something recently with, uh, with Ancestry.com. Right? How many of you guys have, have done this DNA test? Anybody? Anybody? I saw Patty Pollard do it. Awesome. Um, I got this kit, and it's got this little tube that I'm supposed to spit in <laughs> up to the certain line. So if, you know, if I'm like dry, I just got to sit there and like try and suck it back up like you do. Don't judge me. You've all done it. You've all done it. You fill it up to the line, and then you seal it up, and you send it. You send your spit in the mail. And then they do something weird with it, and they give you this report about your ethnicity, about your history, your background, your family, with my spit. Ew! The ancients believed that there was some divine healing in human saliva. And so for us, that seems gross, but for them, something was happening. And I can't explain it. I don't know how they do the report that shows my ethnicity, but I'm really interested in getting that report back. And I hope they keep my spit. I don't need it back. 
and I couldn't help but think, okay, if my saliva has the ability to show all of these things in these tests, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we put Jesus' saliva in that test tube. I wonder what we'd find. I wonder, I wonder what that would be like. I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend to know. But all I know is that he touches this man's tongue, and he's healed. The man who we knew to sit down on the corner of the road begging for money because he was not valuable enough to his community to earn his own wage. Nothing he could do that was valuable enough. And he's literally transformed. He's a different person because of Jesus. Friends, I'm a different person because of Jesus. And so we can get grossed out. We can read over this and say, man, Jesus, what a jerk. Really? A dog? Really? Or we can settle on the truth that what Jesus has for us is always enough. Always. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to point people to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. We don't need to debate with them about all of their philosophies and how they're wrong and we're right. Jesus doesn't do that. He does that with the religious leaders. But he doesn't do that with the people. We need to approach God with desperate humility. We're not going to pretend like there's those people with problems and we're perfect because we're not. You're not. I'm not. We need to open our eyes to the real needs of real people like you and me. So can we stop saying those people? Can you try that with me? I've, I've, I've tried this in the past few weeks. I just committed. I, I don't want to go there. I'm going to just try and be intentional about that. When I catch myself saying it, Lord, I'm sorry. Give me your heart. Give me your eyes in this moment. They're real people with real needs. They're someone's child. They're someone's parent. Someone's sibling. They could be my relative. They could be my friend, they could be me, given the circumstances. Those people are us. Jesus hung out with those people. You can't look out for someone if you're looking down on them. Did you hear that? You can't look down on someone, or you can't look out for someone, rather, if you're looking down on them. Jesus says in Matthew 9.13, he's explaining to the Pharisees why he hangs out with those people. And he says, go and learn what this means. Figure this one out. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinner. And so those people, you know, the ones that look different and smell different and act different, they are created in the image of God. When I look at my son, when I look at my daughters, I I see my image, right? I see their eyes and their nose and their ears. I love, I love that image. I love my children. And, and, And they could do all kinds of things, and we're learning about those things. A lot as parents at every level, uh, from the infant to the, the little toddler who owns the house and uh, the, the soon-to-be five-year-old who's the smartest person and knows everything. They can really test us sometimes. But when I look at them, I see that image. They're so stinking cute. Good thing they look like their mom, right? Good thing. So... Do you realize that that's how God looks at you? That you may think that you're doing all the wrong things and and that you're making all these mistakes and how could God forgive me? How could God love someone like me? He sees the image. He sees the image And that same image is in all people. All people. Not those people. All people. And so because we're never done growing, I want to con- challenge you to continue allowing God to do a work in you first. You have to, you have to let him. He's not just going to do it. Even if it's the right thing, the good thing, the best thing, you, friend, need to be willing. You have to let him do a work in you first. And then, and then, you participate in the work that he's doing all around you. Don't miss it. Amen? I'm going to invite the artist to come back up and I want to, I want to pray over us. I know that uh, this seems like a lot and it all came from these two weird stories, really weird stories. I had no idea what in the world I was going to say and then God just brought me to my knees. And so remember that bold thing that I said I was going to ask you to do later? Would you join me, if you're able, physically able, would you join me on your knees as we pray? Father, you are good. In many ways, 
we can't even comprehend the things you do or why you do them. We trust. We trust in your goodness. We hope for your grace and we pray, we beg for your mercy. For my friends in this room, for my family. Have mercy on us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, for your willingness to go through what I deserve and to withhold from me what I deserve. Holy Spirit, help us to take serious the mission of making disciples for the glory and honor of God. Holy Spirit, lead us. Help us. Teach us. Humble us. Give us compassion for people. May we be agents of your grace and your mercy in this world until you return. And we we put our hope in that. We thank you and we love you. Pray this all in your name. Amen. We can just close. Sing with me. Holy Spirit, fall on me. Holy Spirit, fall on me. On my So now is the time to go. So go and be agents of grace and mercy to everyone, to all people. And stop using those people. Take that out of your vocabulary. Go and love with the love of God, which is greater than anything that we can muster ourselves. So go in the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. Blessings.